You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by Rick Ives, who is the assistant editor at Marvel Studios, and he's also the writer, director, and producer of his own feature-length movie, Solid Rock Trust. So this conversation is one for the movie buffs among you. So it's about filmmaking and independent filmmaking and things, how one actually puts together a heist movie, especially one that's only shot in one location. We also speak about how Rick's experience in being an assistant editor for Marvel Studios and other projects, including James Cameron's Avatar and things like that, how all of those elements have come together to assist with his making of this film. And along the way, we also go on lots of different tangents about other movies, including Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Parks, other films that are shot in primarily one location, like phone move things like that we just talk about characters film experimentation all those sorts of things so if you like myself are a big fan of movies and movie making this is going to be a fantastic conversation for you now as with most recent episodes of genuine chit chat there is a video version of this conversation that will be uploaded to youtube within 24 hours of this audio version coming out so please go over to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat And also make sure you check out the show notes for more information on Rick and other things that I've been up to. And I will be back at the end of the conversation to give you more information on what's to come and other bits and pieces like that. So without further ado, here is Rick Ives. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. So I am here today with a gentleman who, well, basically editor is, I think, the big thing. If you had to kind of define yourself in one very reductive word, it would be editor. (laughs) Um, I mean, you're a lot more than that. You've got a lot more going on. Um, But obviously, one of the things that um, I've listened to a lot of other podcasts with yourself, you've got a movie that you've basically put together yourself. You've written it, you've directed it, edited it, produced it. And, you know, other people have obviously been involved, like the actors and other uh, individuals. But this has kind of been one of your big brainchilds. So um, I know you're probably sick of giving the elevator pitch, but why don't you tell people about the film? And then we'll get that out of the way and we can talk about other filmy related things. Yeah, great. Cool. Rick Ives, I'm here on your show. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me, first of all. And uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I hope you're ready for some real genuine chit chat because (laughs) this might be the most genuine chit chat you've ever had today i'm ready i'm ready to go it might be the longest genuine chit chat you've ever had today what's the what's the longest you've gone so far do you know nearly three hours so i don't think we'll be able to reach that (laughs) all right we're not doing that (laughs) it's been my next visit yeah definitely uh so yeah editor assistant editor uh mostly is what my professional uh credits are um, and then a whole slew of other things that I'm sure we can get into if you want to. But uh, pitch for the movie I just released. That's what mm-hmm. you want to hear? Oh, okay. yes. So, Solid Rock Trust. It is a bank heist movie like you've never seen before. So this is a woman in a room. Um, the room is not in a bank. She has a whole bunch of cell phones. She has a whole bunch of accents. She has a whole bunch of different languages. And she's sort of organizing this whole high bank heist that's happening in a bank far away and everything that you expect to happen in a bank heist movie is still going to happen right so we got shootouts and double crossings and backstabbings and lots of surprises and cops get called and hostages are in danger you know all that stuff but uh from this time we only see it from her perspective in a room far away as she's on the phone with all these people so in a way it kind of like plays out 
like a stage play and also sort of a radio play and you know there's different things that we play with there mm-hmm. um but that's it everyone's really liked it so far i know you watched it you said you enjoyed it and oh yeah i hope your listeners can get a little teaser for it today and then go check it out but oh definitely fortunately my fun. listeners I, normally when i have a, a filmmaker or some sort of content creator on usually a handful of my listeners do go out and check it out and a lot of film buffs listen to my show as well because i myself yeah, cool. am also a film buff so i do recommend well, they're in they're in for a treat because you've never seen anything like this before and uh it's a wild ride you know it's kind of a roller coaster every He's, couple minutes every 10 15 minutes there's like a big turn and a big change and whenever you think you know you're going to predict what's happening it will probably go in a little bit different direction so fantastic that was the goal there you go and that's a brilliant elevator pitch so obviously i watched it before because you sent me a screener so thank you very much for that good sir it was very enjoyable to watch that and uh, yeah so it's one of those films and i won't say any spoilers or anything because obviously a film especially in that genre uh, plot is very uh, very yeah, important yeah. i mean the main lead uh, coco marshall is absolutely phenomenal i know you've praised so she's incredible on other yeah, shows she's but incredible. she's just there's not enough to say about her no she it would almost be one whole podcast just talking about how brilliant she is but uh, <laughs> we do so wanna... she does all these different accents did they did she sell it for you Oh, yeah, pretty definitely. well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the French accent, especially, I thought was fantastic. And it was oh, one nice. of those. I was, and I, I remember hearing you in other pods, and it was like she can speak like three or four languages or something, and she's yeah. quite well traveled. And I was like, yeah. you can hear that because I think she did uh, obviously American, Australian, uh, French, and then I think one was English as well. Uh huh. I'm pretty and sure. She does like a Eastern European, and she does mm. like a New York, and she does yeah Albanian a whole bunch of I stuff. Think, it's or crazy. At least someone yeah, we say Albanian. Albanian. That's a little. That's a little throwback to Inside Man. Because <laughs> uh, I remember you said you've got a lot of like references to other high schools. Yeah, that's well. right. I don't really know what an Albanian accent is, but that I mean, was the joke I live in movie, Europe, so. and I don't know, to be honest, so could have fooled me. But it's, it's one of those films where um, you've mentioned prior where it's um, what you really wanted to do was focus in one area, one space. Right. And right. there's quite a few films of note which do that kind of thing. I know you've cited Buried before with uh, yep. Ryan Reynolds. The first one I think of is A Phone Booth with uh, oh, Colin yeah. Farrell, which is so underrated. Like, it's a really cool movie. And I'm like, when I first heard about it, I was like, what, a film where someone's in a phone booth for a movie? That's not going to get good. See, that's, it, the like, thing about, that's the what? thing about these one-location movies is you hear it and you're like, how did they do that? And that's mm. why I watch so many of them because whenever one comes out or I put one pops up on Netflix, I'm like, dang, you got me. I got to see if they pulled it off. And phone booth is an interesting one. It's kind of cheating because, yes, he's in a phone booth, but it's a big action movie, yeah, right? They're like... Is hundreds of extras on the street and like guns and cops and helicopters all that stuff is still in that movie and uh i don't know if you know this but at the time i believe that was the highest cursing movie ever when it came out i did not know that it was like an f-bomb every like two to three seconds wow and it had never been done before well, I, I was not aware <laughs> don't ask of that me why i know that <laughs> i mean I've, I've grown up like a lot of the movies i've been watching has been tarantino and scorsese yeah. and things like yeah. that so it's like when i hear this has got the most swear words ever and i'm like it, at that point, obviously, at that time, it might have done. But what, once you've seen right. most of Tarantino's and Scorsese's, you know, it's kind of like, especially like Wolf of Wall Street, which is one of my favorites. You watch right. that, and it's just like well, that one. That one took the uh, took the award whenever it came out. I don't know who it took it from, but yeah, that was the highest. And then Tarantino, yes, but his movies are so long. That it's, <laughs> yeah. It's not it's like, like per minute, it's more, like production. more spread out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those, because like with a film like this, and as I said, I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I gave it a nice high rating on IMDb as nice. well. Nice, thank you, thank you. And I encourage people, you know, check this film out. I know you said, I think, uh, after sort of June, it's a bit more of widespread uh, release, especially for outside of the US. Yep, yep. So it'll be on YouTube everywhere on June 1st in the whole world. So if you're listening to this after then, go check it out, because you can watch it real easy. Mm-hmm. But you're in the UK, 
a couple other places outside the U.S. have it on Tubi for free, like Australia and mm. stuff like that. But uh, so it's free there already in the U.S. And then you can get it on Amazon rental. There's a YouTube Play rental, Google Movies. Am I mixing those up? Google Play and YouTube Movies. I mean, I don't use and, either uh, very often, go. but Google Play is is the app on my. <laughs> I don't know Android. if anyone does, to be honest. So, you know, but I'll, I'll make a note and um, I'll put links in the description as well. Not only to all of the stuff um, that you do, but also. We'll find I'll send you the link to my uh, to our link tree. You can put mm. that in, and that'll always be updated with where you can watch it. So. Absolutely perfect, yeah. And it's one of the movies where it's it's a really cool movie, and it's very tense. And you know, a lot of the time when one watches an indie movie, um, especially an indie movie that's not one that's made, you know, you watch like Kevin Smith's first movie, and although yeah, that yeah. was an indie movie at the time, you know, uh-huh. even Star Wars is basically it was essentially kind of like an indie director who just had yeah, yeah. some huge ideas and managed to use a lot of them to kind of uh, make the film better and things. But it's like when often when you watch an indie movie, there's normally something that gives it a very strong indication it's an indie movie. You know, sometimes the editing uh-huh. isn't right or the camera uh-huh. isn't high quality or very good shots or right. acting or dialogue. But with this one, there wasn't. And I oh, think good. that a lot of that links with, obviously yourself being behind this, as we already said, that Coco was fantastic in it. And all the other actors did a really, really good job as well. But she is definitely the star. Mm-hmm. And I think that your history in film Especially, you know, your your main job, the one that um, the breadwinner job, is being an assistant director at Marvel Studios, and you've worked on some incredible stuff, and you're still working on some incredible stuff that you can't talk about. But do you think that those that's really set the groundwork for you being able to do this? Like, I know you've worked with uh, the production company before and helped them edit some of their own stuff, but I assume that the combination of helping them do that and you're kind of seeing, not I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily Marvel is the pinnacle of filmmaking, but it's definitely like up there amidst. It's the really tippy top. Stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. like it, it's as far like, as budget goes and and reach. Yeah, yeah the the weight These behind days. it. So do you think that that's really helped you as a as a creative being involved in all this? I know you're a lover of film since a very young age, but uh, your your day job in air quotes kind of helping your creative pursuits outside of that. Yeah, it certainly does. In a, in a word, yes. <laughs> uh, you're very good to note that a lot of the indie movies you know, fall short in a, in a lot of ways. And these days, it's hard even to talk about an indie movie because you can have a $10 million indie movie. I mean, um, who is it? Who's doing a Metropolis right now? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, oh, my man, this is so To be fair, there's, there's always a film. I'll look it up in a sec, but there's always, like, whenever you hear uh, the awards shows and things like that, there's always an indie movie that's got um, through or things the like that. God, the Godfather and, uh, you know, who's the, who's the director of Godfather? Oh, um, come on. Come on. Uh, for, um, Why am I Coppola. blanking on his Coppola. name right now? Coppola. He's yeah. doing a movie out here in, in Georgia right now. That's a $100 million indie movie because he's funding it himself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I think what you're talking about specifically is the uh, the micro-budget movie, which is yes. something else that I really love. Yeah. And um, it's tough, you know. You can make a micro-budget movie, and it can be huge. Blair Witch Project... Uh, Paranormal Activity. Those are horror movies. Primer is one. I don't know if you've seen that. It's like a sci-fi time travel movie that won Sundance. Obviously, you cited Clerks. Mm -hmm. So you can do it. It could could be done, but you have to be smart about how you're doing it. It needs to have a vibe and a tone that fits with the budget that you have. You are not going to do a $10 million action movie with $100,000. You're just not. And if you try, you can tell. (laughs) Yes. So that was sort of my pitch to this company that I worked with on these. Like you said, I'd been editing with them for a while. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you just stretch yourself too thin. You need 
if you have that budget, don't try to make something more than you can make. So that was my idea from the ground up. Okay, we're gonna I can have a whole bunch of locations like many people do. We're not gonna have a huge cast like many people do. We're not gonna have a ton of stunts. All the interesting stuff is just going to be on the page in the script, right? So it's going to be character development and it's going to be performance and a cool look, like one cool location. And that's what we did, man. And I think it turned out well. I mean, maybe you could tell that it's low budget just because it's a single location. You're like, yeah, I see why they did it this way. But thank you so much for saying you couldn't really tell because the editing is tight. The acting is there. The camera work is there. It's really well shot, thanks to our director of photography. And I don't want to trick people. You know, I don't want to trick people into thinking <laughs> this is a, is a big budget movie. But you can kind of watch it and forget, you know, that we spent the amount of, you know, a week of catering on one of the Marvel shows that I work on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anytime. The other half of your question is, did uh, I learn anything on, on the big stuff? Yeah, you learn what to do and you learn what not to do. And not to say... Everyone's doing it wrong, but I've been on movies that did not go so well. <laughs> and it's very easy to be on set and say, man, who made this decision? This is crazy. I was on I was on a big movie once. I'm not gonna, even going to say which one it was. Big, big sci-fi movie. And it was not a Marvel movie. And we had built, not we, production had built a huge spaceship on one of the sound stages that we were going to shoot. And day comes, we all roll over on stage three or whatever it is, set up the cameras. Director says... Hmm. I don't like this spaceship. We're not going to shoot this today. And they scrapped the whole day because what else are we going to shoot that day? And it's like, they didn't build this spaceship last night. It's been here for a month. And you oh just decided Lord. now that you don't like it. You know what I mean? So you're just missing out on forethought so many times. And like, man, why are you seeing it this way? Then again, when you're with really great, you know, talented people, you see, oh, this is why they're shooting it this way. This is why it's edited this way. It totally makes sense. And how you could be economical with your approach and with how much you're shooting in a day and with what you're turning out. Well, um, and especially with you doing something, which a uh, term that I'd only learned from listening to your podcast, which is the dailies, which right. is uh, basically, I'm sure you'll be able to explain it better than me, but it's like when you get a shot of like, here's a whole day of filming. Here's, you know, hours and hours and hours of filming for realistically probably a few minutes of footage, but here's 18 takes of this one line with, you mm -hmm. know, var varying shots and things like that. And obviously when you're working with the director or whomever in the editing room and you're kind of there with the... Uh, Main, main editor or are they just called the editor the editor yeah just mm -hmm. the editor when you're there with them and also whoever is kind of fronting the film you get to see here's those 18 takes that one's the best and you get to see why that one works and why that one doesn't work and it's mm -hmm. kind of like um you're learning things that obviously you need to know on your job but you're also learning things about film which adds on to what you already know about film because i know you love watching behind the scenes stuff and all those kinds of things so it's like right. i imagine your experience with the dailies and specifically it's kind of like it's like um deleting things um i can't think of the term but it's like uh, narrowing them down it's like okay so that one's the worst one then that one then that one then that one and back and back and back and if you go from 18 takes down to like two and you're like well these two are pretty evenly good let's right. go for let's that pick one, one. Yeah. so the process of elimination that's the term i was trying to get out lord so what if that probably helps as well it's a lot like putting a puzzle together except the puzzle pieces you don't really know what the picture is going to be when it's done you mm. kind of have an idea of what it is and then the puzzle pieces don't always fit together right and they're also different sizes and different important you know, so a lot of times it's like, okay, here's the scene. It's going to be three minutes long when it's done. But what are the four or five things that you really need to hit in this scene? Like, I really like this line of dialogue from this take, you know, this performance. So we've got to get that in there. And then I really like this first camera move. So we got to put that one there. And then I really like the 
interaction, like maybe a couple takes back and forth between these two people. So we want that there. Once you have those in position, then you kind of got to build around it and say, okay, now what do we have left that is going to really get it, you know, from point to point to point to point and tell it the same way we want to. And it's all, dude, you would be surprised how much work goes into this stuff. Um, And it really shows when you have a great director who knows what they want because Mm. then they had a performance that they were going for specifically. They had a camera move that they're going for specifically. If you look at the old Steven Spielberg stuff, he does whole scenes in one shot, but it feels like three or four because the camera moves in a certain way and the characters are blocked in a certain way that it feels almost like the whole scene is changing, you know, in front of you. And if you're smart like that, you could do a whole scene <laughs> in a couple takes, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I so. completely agree. And it's, it's one of those funny things. I'm in no way trying to say that I know a fraction of what you know, but what I used to do for fun before podcasting is I used to make music videos for bands. Yeah, So I yeah. put together about 10 of them or so. And that on a very micro scale, because obviously a music video It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. People are like, oh yeah, making music videos must have been really fun. Why'd you stop doing it? I was like, because it was, I spend all this time doing it. I I wouldn't just edit them. I would record everything. I'd map out the music video. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'd shoot it, direct it, everything. Yeah, so I did everything for this music video. And I spend hours you know people don't realize like especially when you're trying to fit it to like a song or when it's like you know a big motion picture when there's like certain sound effects that have to happen on a certain beat Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. like when you're doing that and you're trying to edit this together and stuff and you're just like okay i have watched this same three and a half second clip (laughs) probably like what a hundred times in the last like 20 minutes and i'm just so sick of this moment in time and i feel like i've been living in it forever and that on music videos is like that's just indie stuff. I know it's a real pressure. I was doing it for people for free. So I was just like mates of mine. So I was like, oh, if I kind of gave up a little bit, as long as it was passable, it wasn't really the end of the world. Whereas obviously right. if you did that, you'd be, it'd be straight out the door and someone else would be coming <laughs> in. So it's, it's one of those things. So I sympathize with you, but I stopped doing that many moons ago. <laughs> it's tough. The job of the ed- editor is really to stay feeling like they're watching it for the first time all the time even though it's the 200th time you've watched it maybe even today you've watched yeah. it 200 times <laughs> and uh yeah i've got a lot of songs that are burned into my memory from working on them shout out to black eyed peas in the year circa 2010 that <laughs> man every time those songs come on the radio i'm like oh not again even still to this day <laughs> it's a ptsd it's like flashbacks <laughs> but yeah it's really tough to look at it again like okay what is the audience seeing for the first time and how do you stay, you know, separated from that, separated from the things that you really like and the things that you don't like, but you know, you can't really get it to work any better. <laughs> you still got to try to look at it objectively. It's, it's difficult. And being an editor, do you find that when you were, um, when you're putting together this movie and obviously you said about your uh, director of photographer, director of photography, they did some amazing work and things because of your editing background as well. When you were being the director and when you were being obviously when you were writing as well, were you finding that you could not quite shortcut, but cut out, cut the fat and not waste so much time where knowing, for example, instead of having to do 20 takes of this one thing, you would like, we can probably get it in five or six just because I, I can kind of know without having to go in the editing room if this is going to work. Did you find that or were you just playing it safe? Yeah, not so much like um, I know I'm going to cut to something else, so I don't need that piece. But mm. a lot of directors do work that way, actually. Uh, but more so, I kind of constructed a lot of the camera work in that with that in mind so like i knew i was going to cover this whole three minutes in one take no use to shoot anything else and i know i'm going to shoot this whole scene like the camera's going to be running around her so i'm not going to shoot anything else we're just going to do a bunch of takes like that or we're going to do one where she's walking around the camera so i'm not going to shoot anything else we're just going to do a few takes of that and then you know it is what it is um 
we shot everything with two cameras so I could always go to something else. Um, it's tough. Usually it, you could cut away to things, you know, you have a, other people in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> you can cut to other reactions, other lines of dialogue. That we didn't have that luxury here. We we're always looking at the same thing. So uh you always wanted to shoot like, I don't know, six, seven different angles at least on everything, just because I mean, what are you gonna do? If you mess up something, you have you have nothing else. Um except for the scenes that I knew we were just gonna get, you know, in camera this way. Um yeah, so, I mean, from the beginning, I told our director of photography, this is how I want to shoot it. Even though it's one room, one person the whole time, I want it to feel like different scenes. I want you to feel like, you know, you've moved on to another section, you moved on to another section, and we shot it that way. So, if you look at the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes, you'll see they're very different. If you look at the first 10 minutes and the middle 10 minutes, even, they're very different. So, that was always intentional. Yeah. Mm. And I made a note, actually... Um I, won't, I was going to show it to the camera, but I've got I've written almost the entire synopsis there, so I don't want to spoil things. But I've got in big <laughs> red letters. I've written um, one shot so far. So at one point right near the start of the film, I think is when the three minute part you were saying, where it's yeah. like, I was like, is this? I was like, is this whole film going to be in one shot? I was like, I'm sure it's not because that is like <laughs> a nightmare to try and film. Like, right. like I know. I haven't seen 1917 yet, but um, I know that's held to be a one shot when it's not actually. It's like a right, right. It seems Even like the one real one shot movies are never one shot, like Birdman or 1917. Yeah, they fake it, which is very good. Cleverly, you're you're still shooting like five, ten, fifteen minutes at a time in some cases. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that one in in ours was I think ten nine minutes long, ten minutes mm-hmm. long. It was long. Um, you really could shoot a movie like this in one shot because, like I said before, it is a stage play, and I wanted the audience to feel almost like they're sitting in the front row of a stage play watching a one-woman show, and she's just doing this in front of you. And that was intentional, too. So that first 10 minutes or so, I wanted you to see that this is not a trick. Her performance is legitimate. She can really do all these accents this quickly. She can really do all these different languages. And she hangs up the phone, changes character, picks up another one, and she's somebody else right in front of your eyes. And you can fake that, you know, with editing. Like, okay, we're going to cut, give her 10 minutes, get into another character, pick it up. And then, you know, when you've edited it together, it's seamless, but there's still a cut there. So <laughs> obviously we did stuff like that too, but I really wanted you to feel in that first 10 minutes that you're here with her and she's just a really talented actress. Yeah, and one shots are something that I just... If anyone put... Basically, if there's a shot that's longer than like a minute that isn't just like a, a scenic shot, Mm-hmm. I, I admire it more because I'm just yeah. such a, you know, I think it was from uh, the Daredevil, I have to say now Daredevil Netflix series because there's yeah. obviously a Daredevil coming out on the horizon if someone's in right. years to come and they want Actually, to Actually, the, the Daredevil Netflix is on Disney Plus. It is now. now. People know it is the Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, at the time. I should You're just... talking about like the hallway scene, right? Exactly. And it's, yeah, yeah. when I saw that, the fight like, stuff is always so cool because you, man, so much work goes into that choreography and making it look good. Mm. and making it up to speed and the actor a lot of times is the one doing it because you need to be able to see their face man it's tough it's insane and it's like there's lots of other films that have done sort of similar ish things uh, old boys got uh, a yep. hallway scene in it that's phenomenal stand out both of them uh, yep exactly well i haven't seen the new old boy um okay i didn't i was like why do i need to watch a remake if the original was basically perfect you know that's kind of because it's in english now you don't have to read it <laughs> How dare you, sir? I'm fine. I don't. I don't need to just listen. I want to. Uh, I may be a podcaster. And it's Josh Bro. It's Josh Brolin. There you go. I mean, that's a fair point. He is pretty good. Do you do you think the new old boy is good? Then uh, I enjoyed both of them for what they were. 
Did you enjoy? I don't have a, are there, is I don't there have a problem. difference, or is it really just? I don't no, want to spoil the plot. It's very similar. I mean, that's a, that's another Spike Lee movie, right? Or yeah, Spike Lee. Oh, okay, it's the same. That was the same. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, because I was I, basically I'm a massive film buff, but my partner Megan is not so much of a film buff. But we've got like a, a list of a hundred films to watch and like scratch scratch them off when you've seen them. And I've seen most of them, but I'm trying to get her to watch certain massive films. And like, oh boy, it's oh, yeah. one of those ones where I'm like, it is a weird film. Maybe because of a big thing that happens in it that I don't want to say, but there's a big thing. And it's like, that turns a lot of people off. And it's like... It's very violent. (laughs) Yeah. She isn't great with violence. Like, she's fine. If it's like Saw or like fantasy violence, if she can't imagine it happening, if it's like, you know, a lot of Grindhouse stuff I quite like Mm -hmm. with um, by... Robert Rodriguez, like the Danny Trejo movies, Machete. You know, when it's right. over the it's top, a cartoon. it's exploding. Yeah. Exactly. But when it's like, oh, Fight Club watching Jared Leto get his face just punched in by Edward Norton, she can't deal with that very much because I can <laughs> yeah. imagine it happening. It feels to me. real. Yeah. yeah. And Old That's Boy is like lead pipes a lot and of things. That. It being, <laughs> this guy is just getting battered for like almost the whole film. <laughs> like he's just got bandages on him pretty much the whole time. <laughs> Uh, man, uh, I'm just trying to think of other long action action sequences. 1917 is a good one for that kind of stuff. It's wild. Yeah. And then so did um they did one of those or maybe two in the newer one that Netflix just put out, All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, I've heard good things about that. I've not they seen it. Did some more of that. Um, a lot of war movies get away with that kind of stuff. There's, huh? there's music videos as well. Like um, there's, a, there's a guy called Scroobius Pip um, who's a rapper now turned actor um, uh, or spoken word artist as well. And uh, he does a lot of his stuff in one shot, his music videos. Oh, that's videos. cool. So I recommend anyone listening to go check out Scroobius Pip on you YouTube. Remember that OK Go one? They did the whole thing on oh, treadmills. Yes. I mean, they do some incredible that's music a, That's the same kind of thing where you have mm. to like choreograph this whole thing and they probably did it. 500 times to get the one take that they needed that's crazy i think okay go probably although their music is all right i haven't got a problem with their music but their music videos a friend of mine showed them to me a couple years back and i was like she showed me like five in a row and i was like you can't i was like this one can't outdo the the, the, right that one was one of the best music videos i've ever seen they can't outdo themselves they're like here's one where they do it in a plane doing zero gravity and you're like what and it's one shot of them in in zero gravity in a plane and they manage to match the music with when they're experiencing gravity and when they're not again you're like what is this high concept music video stuff? You know, compared to some I know, stuff. it's crazy. <laughs> oh man! But linking back uh, with your movie, so obviously it's a heist movie. Um, and one thing I want to ask you about it specifically was when it came to writing it. Like, how when it? I, I would imagine there's two parts of the writing for this film specifically. There's probably one which was the dialogue specifically and more of the, the script itself. But then the actual idea of obviously as you said in your synopsis that there are twists and turns and things as one would hope in a film like this we won't say what any of them are but when you were writing it did you did you have to brainstorm things do you have to write like a timeline of a heist of the heist first then when you had that done you then did the script around it like i'm intrigued how in a film like this how you kind of put it together yeah i don't know how other people do it but i do it uh where i just have the main bullet points like okay twist here twist here twist and i I don't mean twist but like big turn you know, mm-hmm. plot turn. Uh, every, like, it's going to happen here, then this, then this, then this. So I've got like the six or seven main points out there. And then um, I also made a list of things that I want to see in this movie. So, like, okay, what's our movie going to be? It's a woman on a whole bunch of cell phones. What do we need to see happen in this? How about one time she's calling all the phones at the same time and no one answers? Okay, I'm going to put that on the list. How about one time all the phones are ringing for her and she can't answer? Okay, gonna put that one on the list. Uh, what else would happen? She has to go over. She's got a little clock on the desk. She has to reset the clock every two minutes, and she has to hang up the phone because she can't be on the phone longer than two minutes. What if once or twice, 
ooh, she needs to be on longer than that. Okay, write that down. So I just you know start putting a whole list together of things that I want to make sure I hit, and then start squeezing them in. It's almost like doing a sculpture, you know, where like you have the big chunks, and then you're like whittle it down a little bit more, and then you just start writing dialogue and you kind of know, you know, what each two to three pages has to happen and you just put dialogue in and you kind of have characters in mind so you know what they're going to say or not. Um, you know, you can hear a line of dialogue from one of our characters, Carmen, right away, you know that's from her because she's the one person who's like wisecracking, snappy, <laughs> mean, like fast talker. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear another line of dialogue like from the cop and you know that's from him, you know? So they're pretty well defined, I think. And uh, yeah, you just start putting it in there and every time I did a pass on the script like okay what else can I crunch into this movie because it's a tough sell to have a person talking on the phone for 90 minutes uh, what could I possibly throw in that would make it more interesting and that was just always the goal you know mm-hmm. clever dialogue or references or you know a big twist that we didn't see coming if once or twice after I had the script done I was like oh shoot I got to put this in. <laughs> so we got have to rework, you know, whatever was in there to make mm. it fit um, until we came up with what we did. So there you go. Nice. Yeah. And linking with that still with obviously the phones and things, a lot of this, uh, one of the reasons that Coco does so well is because she's pretty much the only person you see for the entire film. Right. And so with, with that, with all the other voices and things, A, you had to make sure everyone's voice was unique, as you say, because right. when certain characters speak, you have to know straight away, not only is the dialogue match the character, but also... You said, I think, in another pod where you have to use your imagination. You know, you you have to. It's almost like a, a podcaster's dream in certain ways. Right, you know? right. Whereas, like, we just listen to people's voices all the time. Or if you listen to audio dramas or things like that, you know, audiobooks, you have to, you hear certain elements and you kind of make up the rest of the image in your mind. It's not dissimilar to reading a book. So with that, with the characters and the voices and things, I assume, did you record them in uh, like a vocal booth or something completely separately? I'm interested as much as you're willing to... St- st- Ooh, no, no, no. I'll that. tell you all about it. That Please. means I know you listened to some shows beforehand. It means you didn't listen to the one where I talked about this. So this is no. fun though. You'll like this. So I went back and forth on how do you shoot this? Because you either have all your actors there for the whole shoot, you know, off camera, making phone calls and acting with her, which I didn't want to have everybody there the whole time. Because, you know, if you really take the characters, how many pages they each have. It's not really that many. Mm-hmm. They're just spread out. Um, it was also during COVID, so I was trying to have a small crew. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't want to have a person just reading lines for her because you lose the energy and you lose the performance. You know, Actors are really looking for somebody to bounce off of, and I wanted to make sure we had that. So what I ended up doing was going on Amazon and sending microphones to all my actors' houses, and then we did Zoom calls just like this where we would go through a whole character, all their scenes in the movie for a, for a day or like two or three hours. And I had Coco, our actress, and I had that actor, and we would just go through the script. Okay, your scene is this scene, this scene, this scene, this scene, and we'd do all five or seven, and then we'd hang up, and then the next day I would do the next character, and then the next day I would do the next character. And then I went and edited all that audio, so you had an audio version of the scene with their dialogue, and then I cut that together and put it on her iPod so she could listen to it and uh, rehearse against the performances that we'd already done. And then on the day when we showed up, I literally could push play on the same thing she'd been listening to. And she could go for 15 pages because she had it all memorized. And Whoa. she knew the timing down. I'd put in uh, sounds of phones ringing and whenever a phone hung up. 
So she could have a cue like it's ringing and then someone would pick up and answer and then she would just kind of be talking with a recording. <laughs> and it worked wow. so well because we could just hit record and for five minutes or so, we could just roll from you know those camera locations and then whenever we got that, we'd move to the next one and it was great. I mean, part of it is she's so talented that she could have all that memorized. I mean, I could never do that. <laughs> I don't know how she does. <laughs> But she also did really well with the accents because she had been practicing, you know, the timing on that specifically. So it was fun. It worked out really well. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where there's certain films. Um, I mean, I've I recently rewatched uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I loved that. I used to I watched it when I was a teenager, and my partner had never seen it before. And I was like, oh, it's something you'd probably quite enjoy. So he watched it, and as much as I love many elements of Buffy, not so much the creator, but but that to one side, <laughs> sure. many many elements of Buffy are you know phenomenal. But even in a show like that, which it's held in such high regard. I know the film's, you know, it's twenty year, it finished like 20 years ago now. But yeah. there are certain scenes where someone picks up a phone and you are like, you're not talking to anyone on that yeah, phone. Yeah, you're just taking this space. Is awful. They like, might even, like have, written, they might even have written that dialogue in later, you know? Well, that's it. And it's like, in this film, it felt the opposite. I was like, because one of the things I was like, it genuinely seems like with the way she's responding and reacting and, you know, the way it all fit together, it really feels like she is literally picking up the phone. But I was like, I would be very surprised if you literally had that because then you'd have the audio coming out the phone in her scene and it would, from right. like, from even just doing the small amount of film stuff I have done, it's like that would be a nightmare in post, just trying to edit out this person. Oh, I well, I did that. I did that though. Oh God. Because we, we, we played it all back over a PA system so it was oh, loud fully. enough to hear from everything. Yeah. Whoa. And I ended up, I mean, there's nothing else you could do. You just go through and cut cut all that stuff out one line at a time um that's part of the job but it worked so well too because even the film you know the crew was into it because they could hear both sides of the conversation and there were moments there where cameras getting real shaky and like moving around with her and we i call cut and dakota our director of photography would set the camera down and be like whoa i felt that one i felt it i felt like i was in the moment <laughs> because it, you already kind of have it there you know Mm, yeah because one thing you've spoken about before is with the characters and it's like it's very the film like this where it's basically about it's the plot and the, the characters the main thing so it's like if you have a plot that's focusing around one character for you know an hour and a half if you aren't invested in that character then it's basically just you're, you're sat there going why am i watching this person you know right right just plot about in this place yeah. like well you lose your audience if you don't care that's what's so important exactly you care about them and it's been mentioned in other podcasts, but like you managed to do it where relatively every character had a reason for you to care about them. Or if you didn't care about them as a person, you were like, something's going to happen. Like, I won't spoil anything, but like with certain characters that you were like, I don't necessarily like this person, but I yeah. can kind of sense this is something's going to happen with them. So I, I, there's a lot of characters, I'm sure, like in the Marvel Universe and comics and superhero stuff where there's a billion characters. Like, you don't have to like them all, but right. there's characters that I Sometimes like Sometimes you're not supposed to like them. Sometimes exactly. you're supposed to dislike them, you, and that's you part like of the fun, too. as a character <laughs> as opposed to as a person. You know, I love Captain America as a person. He's a lovely, lovely chap. And as yeah. a character, he's fine. But then, like, you know, Loki, I don't like him as a person because he's a dick. But as yes. a character, he works so well in plots. And it's that right. kind of, it's the balancing act one has to do. And it's like, like with a almost an ensemble of characters, but hyper focused on one, and having um, Coco bounce off all these characters and things, it's a pretty hard juggling act. I think you you genuinely pulled off successfully. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it means a lot that it actually worked because it's sort of an experiment. <laughs> mm. If you would care about people you've never even seen before, but I think that we did. You did a hundred percent. It's one of those, and it's like one thing I want to ask you as well. Sort of linking in is. 
you've said you've got other things written you've got like other ideas and etc obviously you're still on the promotion train for this um and i think you mentioned that um a horror movie might be next and horror movies i think are one of the unique areas of film because i think horror as well as sci-fi sort of 70s and earlier maybe Mm -hmm. were really the spaces for experimentation in film not not Mm -hmm. the only spaces there's a lot of other you know crazy other places but like mainly horror when i think of horror films like there's so much horror that is just experimentation and i love horror films but i also concede that probably only 10 or 20 percent of horror films are actually any good now Mm -hmm. i enjoy every horror film i watch but that doesn't mean they're all good because there's just so much of an experimentation kind of space. I wonder if right. you have any opinions on that. Like with, you don't have to tell us anything about the horror film you're making, but I just, I like the fact that with horror, you can, you can do anything in horror, really. That's kind of the beauty of it. As long as it's freaky or scary or in like thriller genres, I also really like, which right. obviously this film I'd say is definitely a thriller, not a supernatural horror thriller, but it's R- more right. of like a drama thriller. But I'm just intrigued by, because the, the way that this film Solid Rock Trust works so well is because the whole time you're feeling that tense moments and there's these things you're like what's going to happen it's like a boiling pot and horror you need that to make a good horror film you need suspense so I didn't know if that kind of they have kind of a mirrored like parallels between them um yeah I think I threw a lot of words you hit it, then. <laughs> I think you hit it I think you hit it spot on I mean the way that you experiment is have something to experiment with, and that's what you find in genre movies, right? So certain things have to happen in a bank heist movie because they always do. And if you're not hitting those, it's like, oh, this is just a drama about a bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing in a horror movie. And there's different you know, subgenres of horror too, but uh, you really need to hit those tropes because that's what people are there to see. And the fun of it is playing with those tropes and you know, the audience knows what it is. The filmmakers know what it is. And the filmmakers know the audience knows what it is. So you can play with what the expectation is and what's supposed to happen, but we're going to do it this way instead. That's the game, you know? That was the game on this movie too. Um, I don't know if you can really do that in a, like a drama because a drama is like, you know, you're just here to watch the performance. <laughs> yeah, I think and you're here to tough. You're here to explore a character. Um, oh, so I just rewatched uh, Everything Everywhere. In the last week, I've not seen that yet. I'm the only oh, person in the Mike. world. I know. What are I you know. waiting for? But here's the here's my argument for people: is that I have to con- basically myself and my partner. We basically I wanted to watch a million things, yeah, um, yeah, and so I have to trade. So it was my birthday recently, um, and I basically whenever it's one of our birthdays, we just go okay that day you can watch whatever the hell you want, no complaints. So I was like, okay, we've got on the hundred film list, uh, Blade Runners on there, which I'm not the biggest fan of the original Blade Runner, but I think uh-huh. the sequel 2049 is absolutely Fantastic. phenomenal. And you got to oh, watch the first one. Exactly. So I was like, right, we're watching the two Blade Runner movies. And basically I had to somewhat trade. Like Megan, she likes a lot of cool films. I've shown her things like V Vendetta that she's loved, but then I've shown her films that I really like, like Watchmen, which she despises. And so there's certain <laughs> sure. films where it's just a coin flip sometimes. And it's like some films. So I'm kind of in the same boat because my wife's not in the film industry and she's mm-hmm. like, mediocre on movies anyways but i was like i tried to show her everything i tried to show her that movie once everything everywhere all at once i tried to show her that and she was like ah that doesn't sound interesting to me okay fair enough then it wins the academy award and i go okay i'm gonna test this on you one more time this one best picture and it's so wacky that you might just like it and so we sat down and watched it again and she's much like your partner not in super into violence not super into sci-fi i kind of got to drag her along that kind of stuff and you can't even describe what genre this movie is because it's everything. And we got here because we're talking about hitting tropes and that movie does it incredibly because 
it's kung fu, it's drama, it's sci-fi, it's comedy, it's cartoon, it's all these different things. And it knows what those things are so it can play with those rules and that's what makes it so fantastic because it takes it you know in a way that you never would have expected and yet still follows those rules that's what's so fun about it it's definitely that as well as the um the nicholas cage movie uh the unbearable weight of yeah yeah talent totally um, that like i, I want it knows also, what an action movie is so it can it, play with that <laughs> megan's not seen like any nicholas cage movies She's not oh. seen like Face Off, which is just a classic. In that case, you like wouldn't enjoy it because you don't get it. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, well, like I need to basically show her at the very least, I think, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon before we watch uh, Everything Everywhere, just so you, she has a vague idea of who on earth Michelle Yeoh is. Yeah, and what a kung fu movie is. Well, yeah, basically, she's seen a, like a couple, but it's one again one of those things where it's like we've been together you know, nearly five years, and so it's like obviously Marvel and Star Wars and a lot of the big nerdy things are kind of the priority. And I was like, right, now that you're up to date, with as that, they should be, there you yes, go, exactly, to support <laughs> people like you. Uh, and then it's just when once we're done, once we've caught up with that, it's like right now, just a couple times a year, you have to come to the cinema with me or have to uh, come to the cinema with me and keep up to date. So now we've we've got that going. Then during COVID lockdown, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, it was like we're never yes. going to get another chance. Extended. Or bust. Don't uh, yeah. even put on the theatrical exactly. ones. It doesn't matter. Not anymore. Not anymore because it's like, and here's the thing, and I've got lots of films next to me because I'm in my little, little, in my office. But this is like one of my most prized possessions, and it's the extended edition of Hobbit and Lord of the Rings on Blu ray. I didn't know like, they put out the extended on Blu ray. Oh, yes. And when was that? Them. Must have uh, been recently. Not ac- not that recently. Um, I got them because uh, I've tried to find it before and I never could can't see when i was trying to look for the copyright because that's normally when you can tell uh when something's out but these copyrights that'll be my christmas present of myself next year yeah well i had to get this so it's got and it's got all the all the uh behind the scenes stuff in fact each each film has got four discs so it's Uh, like and that's blu-ray not dvd yeah so it's normally so you know it's a lot film and then there's also (laughs) the the making of um and there's two making offs for every movie so there's yeah i've watched them all mike i've watched them all when those came out on dvd i i watched like every minute of all those it's a great upgrade and it was it took so much of me to not buy they had a version of this which there were only like in the uk like it was either 200 or a thousand made and it was like a box and it was like printed and numbered had these in there as well as like all these collectible things and it was some it was something like 800 pounds or something so for american it's probably it's like over a thousand dollars and i'm like as I, I i would kill for this but i, I can't worry can't, this is can't so do it. Money. whereas this was about 100 quid i think when it came by out. the way for your listeners if you want to learn if you want a crash course in filmmaking watch all those Lord of the Rings behind the scenes because they go into every aspect cinematography, sound, sound mixing, music, uh, the acting, the writing, the costumes. The costumes that they did on those movies were just incredible. The set building, how they how they schedule all this stuff, you know, how they do the the visual effects on top of it's just it's never ending and that stuff is so cool. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, I even thought, if you don't like Lord of the Rings, it's fascinating. Yeah, but if you don't like Lord of the Rings and you've seen those three movies, then like, get out of here. What are you doing? You don't belong here. Yeah. No. Yeah. Get out of here. Show. Gatekeeping just for Lord of the Rings. Nothing else. <laughs> you could be any kind of Styles fan if you've seen one Styles film or all of them. But Lord of the Rings, you got to watch all three. <laughs> the main three Hobbit films I do enjoy, but you don't have to watch them. But I just think, where did you land on the uh, the Rings of Power? I've not watched that. Do you want to know why? Oh man, because okay. you got to, too much other stuff. Well, kind of. Yeah, I mean, everyone's in that kind of space. But basically, Megan does like fantasy, but she likes Lord of the Rings. Um, but 
and she liked the Hobbit films, but she really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings films. But we kind of said maybe we should rewatch the Lord of the Rings films, mainly because I love them. I mean, the original theatrical cut of Lord of the Rings, I've seen all those films so many times. Return of the King, I think, is arguably the, the greatest best. film ever made. And then you watch yeah. the extended edition, you're like, how did they make this film better? They did with another hour or so of film. But it's incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. With Go those, on. when uh when Game of Th- we also watched Game of Thrones and stuff, and obviously the last season of that is a bit weak. And so she had a bit of a bad taste in her mouth from Game of Thrones. But then it was basically it was my choice for what series to watch next, because we generally take it in turns. And I was like, Well, it's either House of the Dragon or Lord of the Rings. And she was like, Either one, I'm fine with whatever. And I was like, I, I just felt, I was like, let's go for House of the Dragon, because I've got friends of mine who are even bigger fans of Lord of the Rings than I am, and they said Rings of Power started off a bit slower, and I was like, okay, we'll try. We'll start with House of the Dragon, see how that goes, which is phenomenal, and then the next thing on my list, I'm currently watching Sandman, and the thing after that is probably going to be Rings of Power. Okay. So... Um, all right, it's, fair enough it's one of those I mean it's also like with all the Star Wars stuff and all the Marvel stuff coming out especially at the moment there's Bad Batch of Mandalorian and loads of other uh, things coming out and Megan's things are Bake Off it's the Great British Bake Off and then RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> so it's like for me I'm like Star Wars and Marvel are the must watches and for her it's Bake Off and Drag Race and that takes up quite a lot of our time excluding yeah there's never things. there's the Bake Offs never end no, they do not. And there's, there's also Junior Bake Off and the Stand Up to Cancer Bake Off, which we also watch, also watch all of those. Um, but with The Lord of the Rings, the just the trilogy itself, I think, as much as I love styles, as you can probably see from around me, and I've got styles tattoos and everything. This Star is the Star Wars, Wars show. It, well, this is not the Star Wars show. It's, 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 con- <laughs> it's linking with my other Star Wars show. But like... <laughs> I love Star Wars more than most things and most people, to be honest with you, but not you, Rick. Um, but the thing is, is uh, as much as I love the original trilogy, I think that the the best trilogy of films that exists is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I, I don't, yeah, yeah. as much as I love what, you know, the Star Wars films did for both sci-fi and for fantasy, because they are basically space fantasy films, what yep. they did, you know, and George Lucas especially, and all the other individuals who are involved in that, it was incredible phenomenon and it changed cinema. Lord of the Rings is just elevated. And it changed cinema as well, Lord of the Rings. But it elevated it in such a way. It was like, we're doing an 18-month on, uh, like in New Zealand filming with these people. You just have to commit basically a year and a half of your life plus any press we do afterwards. So it's like two to three years of your life on these films. And when you see the people still talking about it today, when you've got Elijah Wood and the rest of the... of the Feralty Hobbitses, all of them talking and things. And today, they're still so passionate and they're still so yeah, excited yeah. by it because... There's a plan from the beginning to the end, and that's something that Star Wars could learn. Well, you hit right on because oh, even though Lord Star Wars is my, even Star Wars is my uh, is my franchise too. That's the number one because that's the one that like gets under your skin and mm. you care about that for when you're a kid. Stop thinking about it. But objectively, yes, the Lord of the Rings ones are better because even Star Wars runs into ah, eh, this didn't really work. Ah, eh, this is what, this part isn't great. Ah, eh, I don't really like whatever part of it. Don't say Ewoks because that's my favorite. But, uh, Our tortoise is named after Wicket. So we have a female tortoise <laughs> called Wicket. So, you know, we love Ewoks in this house. We've got But the Lord of the Rings things. doesn't have any of that. It's just good no matter what. There's no bad scenes. There's nothing wrong with those. You can't. You don't have to apologize for it. You can't change any of it because it's all perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the you. thing. I, I love Star Wars, but I do have to often apologize or explain something for Star Wars. But it's like if you watch the three theatrical or extended versions of Lord of the Rings, I don't. You can. Basically, every question you've got is probably answered. There might be a few little bits of lore stuff that's not like explicitly word for word told you in your face, but they are three perfect movies. You know, you, you I cannot fault them. And then they made extended versions, and they're even better. And you're like, they're, how? How did you do it, <laughs> Peter Jackson? And, and how? And how did you get it so wrong on the the next three? 
Yeah. Ooh, did that hurt your feelings? Sorry. No, I no, I, okay, I, I like I like the Hobbit <laughs> films, but they are a hundred percent weaker. They they are. Yeah. I mean, I never read the Lord of the Rings books or the Hobbit book. You know, I'm a blasphemer, but. I, even friends of mine who are massive Lord of the Rings fans or Hobbit, whatever, everyone has basically said, yeah, there's not enough material for three films. Two, maybe. Mm. Three, mm-hmm. not so much. I mean, I mean, I like all the Hobbit films. I do enjoy them. But the first Hobbit film, like, I think it takes him nearly an hour to even leave the Shire. And you're like, this is taking too long. <laughs> this is just... That's my issue with the Hobbit, with the Hobbit more yeah. so. I also didn't like that so much of it was CG instead of practical, which is what I think why the Lord of the Rings still holds up. But... Anyways, you make things good, real. Which linking back to your film, you know some of the uh, effects that you use. If you make it look real enough for you are looking at it out, not even with a camera. If you're looking at this and you go, "That looks real," then if you put a camera on top of it and send it to people, in you theory, it'll look good forever. It, yeah. You know, it's one of the it's one of those things. That's why Star Wars, the original trilogy, in many ways is timeless in that respect because although there yeah, are yeah. the special editions, unfortunately, have um, you know some of that, tainted yeah. that somewhat. But you know, the cantina scene. To my recollection, there's no CGI in that. So you watch Cantina scene now or you know, back when it came out in the late 70s, it's, it still looks real, and that's the mm-hmm. beauty of it. Yeah, you're right. Totally. Uh, I have nothing to argue with about that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, need to me. Don't, don't need to argue with me about it. It's, it's just one of those things of making film. Like one of, one of the other elements of your film that I quite liked is um, I may get the person wrong, so you will know this because it's very oh, sure. common. Someone's smoking gun. Who is it? It's Pavlov. It's you know when when you see something in a film and you know it's going to come up, it's going to mean something of importance. You know, yeah, yeah. So and so smoking gun. Chekhov's. Chekhov's Chekhov's gun. Thank you. That was it. Yeah, um, I'm thinking of think Pavlov's the the Pavlov's dog. That's the the ring the bell thing. Exactly, the dog drilling. Yeah. (laughs) So I get them confused because yeah, terrible. But like with your film, I found that there was there was enough stuff going on in certain shots where it was just kind of uh, for lack of a better word, almost flavor text to be able to see things round. But also there were certain things where if you're like that's been in the shot quite a lot or what's the significance of that by the end of the film you're like i got you yeah which i appreciated <laughs> that like did you did you go in the film like specifically thinking of these little finer details because i assume where you were in editing editing is all about the finer details you know, half a millisecond can make the difference of anything the worst thing ever is when you're watching a movie and the the solution for whatever the protagonist needs comes out of nowhere right so that's another that's another thing. It's called a Deus Ex Machina. Have you ever heard that? Oh yes. Yeah. When in fact, basically, there's a film called Ex Machina that's phenomenal. But yeah, that's not strictly speaking. That's related. different. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> basically, when God comes in and just solves the problem for you. By the way, biggest Deus Ex Machina ever is the uh, Eagles coming in at the end of the Lord of the Rings. You're like, what? how come they didn't do this to begin with? It could have solved it in movie number one. But whatever. <laughs> that's my only complaint about the the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, but you can get away with a deus ex machina if you set it up ahead of time mm-hmm. and you give people clues. So, yes, I was constantly in there like, shoot, this is going to end. How can I kind of set that up ahead of time once or twice so that when you see it, you go, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I didn't see that before, but now I get it. And then it becomes one of those things where you can go back and watch this movie again and you pick up all the little stuff you know, that you missed along the way because it's there. I promise you it's all in there. <laughs> well that's what you want i mean would you think that uh do you think more directors nowadays should spend time even if, if it's like an internship or work experience just 
doing something in the editing room? Do you think that that's a skill that a director could really learn from? Or do you think for yourself it did, but it's not necessarily something that everyone had to learn from? Because my impression is yeah. you probably would. Directors actually do spend a lot of time in the editing room. They're just not pushing the buttons. Well, I meant but... like before they start directing people. Because the editing, if I'm correct, is towards the end, isn't it? Or do they go, do it as they go? Um, nowadays, it's sort of as they go. Like right. they'll be shooting s- scenes and before they scrap a set, they'll have the scene edited just to make sure they didn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when someone's even directing a Marvel TV show or even a, not a Marvel show, like something even smaller, they've directed something before. <laughs> they've been in the editing room. Um, and you kind of learn along the way in that respect. Yeah, it's very helpful to have it in mind how this is going to cut together. I think it's really helpful to be able to just sit and do it yourself, like have your own fingers on it and experiment, you know, without the editor in the room. Now, a lot of editors don't like that when the director <laughs> knows how to <laughs> how to use editing software because that's kind of the barrier to entry is learn how to do this stuff. But as soon as directors do know how to do that, it's like, oh, no, they know how to edit. So <laughs> they're like, literally, there's rules in the DGA about you're not allowed to have an editing system. You're not allowed to do this part because you're stepping on someone else's toes. And man, people hate that stuff. But Thankfully for mine, I, <laughs> it's a non-union show. I can do whatever I wanted. Uh, but yeah, it really does teach you. And in fact, kind of the same thing happened for me. When I started writing screenplays, I did it because I wanted to be a better editor. Because I thought if you could understand this craft more, you would understand how to do your, yours better. You know, I think that goes the case for all the aspects of filmmaking, even like down to costumes or hair. You know, like Why do they do their job the way they do it? And you can work that into a script. You can make that part of the story, you know? And if you have a full grasp of when that happens, what's going into it, like even just getting somebody ready in the morning to, you know, if we have a call time of 8 a.m., we can't shoot until 9.30. Well, why is that? Because hair and makeup takes this long. Okay, well, you work that into the schedule. And a lot of times the micro-budget movies that we've been talking about don't have a grasp of all that stuff. And they end up having to rush, 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 rush in the last couple hours of the day because they're so far behind because they didn't have an as you know, a knowledge of what goes into that. Someone doesn't know how long it takes to set up the lights in a room. They think, oh, we're going to just run in there and we've got three hours to shoot the scene. Well, no, actually, you've got 30 minutes to shoot that scene because it's going to take two hours <laughs> to set up. And testing and making sure, because the last thing you want to do is just, let's yeah. just record and see how it feels. Like, right. no, yeah. it well, would be terrible. <laughs> you're setting yourself up for failure that way. And if you're not lighting it, then it's going to look not lit. <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell. You know, it takes down the production quality that way. So, well, that's another thing with indie movies, that's, that's or lower budget movies, which is the problem. But it's even like, especially nowadays, when I see big budget films and they do have like things you mentioned earlier, which is like just a plot. If you come out of a movie and you can figure out how to undo a plot hole in one sentence straight after mm-hmm. watching the movie, then why didn't you do that? Well, yeah, it's and there's a lot of films do that. You know, as much as I love Star Wars, there are a few of those in there, um, more so than newer stuff, but. You know, I I do enjoy all Star Wars, but one thing I do I did like, and it's I won't say what it is because it's a spoiler. But there's a moment nearer the end of the film where someone is saying, "Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that?" And it's like another character saying, "Because this, because yeah, this, because you can't, because this, <laughs> because you can't do this, because this thing won't work. If you try and do this, this will happen." And it's like when that scene, especially, I was like, "Oh, this is this guy's thought about it. This guy, yeah, good. He knows he's basically almost gone. I, I don't know if you actually did this, but it's almost like you you wrote the the 
premise of the script, then you're like, right. If I was a really harsh critic, how would I okay. pick this apart? I, I did do this. I did oh, do that. Nice. I'm like, Brilliant. man, okay, what are the plot holes I'm not seeing? And I believe that there's still one in there that I never quite solved. I can't even remember what it is anymore. But even on the day I was shooting, I was like, man, I don't know a way around this. I just got to go. <laughs> just got to shoot it as it is. Hopefully nobody notices. <laughs> oh, man. So it happens. Yeah. Well, you can't make a perfect movie. You know, it's hard to do. I mean... Speaking of sort of some of your favorite movies and things, do you think there's a, as being a film buff, do you think there is a perfect movie? Yes, I, I just, it's called Back say, to the Future number one. I mean, to be fair, that is a <laughs> that is a damn good movie. Let's be honest. That's and talk about setup and payoff. That whole movie is setup and payoff. Like every shot is telling you something that's going to happen later, and it's just so so good. It's it's one of those films that you watch when you're when you're younger because it's you know it's it's it says it's over here like it's a pg it's suitable for relatively everyone and then they say shit about five times and you're like um which oh, before yeah. pg-13 yeah exactly so <laughs> i was like well it's definitely not like a over there you've got r rated but over here it's 15 or 18 so it's like you know right. it's you for everyone then pg 12 which pg-13 yeah, the same thing yeah. 15 18 so it's like well it's definitely not a 15 so but so it's similar like ghostbusters right. like right. megan had not seen ghostbusters and we watched it like, wow um, this is written pg huh. yeah and it was like it's like they say shit like seven or eight times. And there's like some really sexual in your window in that well, movie. Yeah, that I, watched, I remember watching that as a kid, and my mom was like, "I don't remember all this stuff." Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I showed it to Megan. She was like, "Afterwards, she was like that because she, she hadn't seen it. She knew you know, what Ghostbusters was, but she was like, um, she was like they swallowed, but she hasn't got an issue with swearing. But when we watch films that are PG, they're kind of, kind of thing films that we think yeah. oh, when we have kids, we'll be able to show them. And it's like, okay, no, not those. No, you got to know. You can't watch yeah. Goonies with the little kids. You gotta wait till they're like that's a PG thirteen movie, even though it's rated PG. <laughs> well, it's like Ghostbusters is a bit where um, Sigourney Weaver's sort of um, possessed, and she's like, I want you inside of me. And it was like fucking hell. I know. <laughs> this is like a PG. I thought I remember like watching this as a kid, but clearly just yeah. The funny thing is, all that stuff just goes right over your head. You have no idea. Oh until yeah, you're older. And there's films I haven't seen for like 15, 20 years, and I'm like, oh, I remember this being really good. And I'm watching. I'm like, so I watched. Um, there's a film. It's only say 12 years old um and I, it's called drive with ryan gosling oh yeah and it's ryan reynolds so good uh, gosling yeah yeah it's so good I, I love that movie and i showed it to megan and she was like yeah it was cool she her her catchphrase is yeah it was all right because she doesn't love the like when i see amazing cinematography and phenomenal sound design and all that stuff i'm like oh man this film's so well made she's like well it's well made but it doesn't make it a good film and i'm like right i, I know what you're saying but most of the time it does make it better but a film like drive is so it's so well shot but um the reason I mention it is because I only watched it when it came out. So, you know, I think I saw it at the cinema. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, man, it's such a cool film. You're going to probably really enjoy it. You know, it's on our film list anyway. So got to watch that. And then I, I was like, something really violent scene happens in it. I was like, okay, that's the violent scene. In the elevator. Well, the elevator is a bit, I forgot completely. I remember oh, okay. the shotgun scene. And I was like, there we go. That's the violent scene. That's what made it in 18. And then there's the, yeah, curb stomping in the elevator. And I was like, I completely forgot about this. And then there's <laughs> another scene where someone's just getting beat into a pulp. And Megan was like, you didn't tell me this did was so this? violent. And I was like, I for- I did. Re- I remembered the shotgun scene. I forgot the curb stopping scene. I would have warned you to look away. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, so funny. I mean, yeah. back, but Back to the Future is, is a near near perfect film. It is. Uh, there's a lot of films which, especially in sort of the 80s and to some degree the 90s, which come out. And like the original Jurassic Park. How? Yeah, classic. How do you so on good. That? You can't. No, and I know that and you've got... And they've been trying, and they haven't. <laughs> Although I would say Jurassic World is brilliant. I was so surprised at how, how much I enjoyed that. 
the yeah, sequel. I did like Jurassic something. World a lot. I like all the Jurassic Park movies, even the bad ones, because, dude, it's dinosaurs. It's, Come on. It's cool. We're yeah. not going to like this. <laughs> uh, but it still gets to the point where you're like, okay, dinosaurs fighting. I still like that, but it's not like watching the first Jurassic Park, the sense of awe and wonder that comes with it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's 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 funny because the Jurassic Park movies, I, like you, I enjoy all of them. And in fact, controversially, I enjoy Jurassic Park three more than Jurassic Park two. Oh yeah, Ooh. okay, I could see that. Yeah, mainly because Jurassic Park two, I think the last half hour is so bad it ruins the entire. What's film. there in Los Angeles or and San Diego, just, right? Wherever it is, it's some American city yeah. that's really built up, and you've got a dinosaur walking that is so loud, everything is shaking. But no one is looking outside. And he's walking down the suburban area, and you've got this however many ton dinosaur. Everything is shaking and crunching. And just, yeah, a light or two bumps on her dog barks yeah. and gets eaten. And you're like, right, yeah. there are people That's who it. are so nosy who live near me. You know, a car alarm goes off, and everyone's like, what's going on? Is that my car? If you heard something stomping around, JP3 really got back to the suspense of Jurassic Park. It yeah. was, and it was scary. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's the weird dream bit there. Everyone's like, the dream bit shit. It's like, yeah, right, it's where it's amazing. talking. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, and it's like, But the stuff like in the fog and like mm. the pterodactyl comes out of the fog. Yes. And ugh, so many great stuff in there. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. And in linking in uh, with Solid solid Rock Trust, what, what would you give that if it was rated? Because like, obviously, from my recollection, there's not a huge amount of swearing or violence and those sorts of things. Yeah. But obviously- I wrote it to be like a soft PG-13 movie, almost PG. Mm. That's kind of uh, what I thought. Ironically, Tubi rated it TVMA, and I even went to them and I was like, this is not TVMA. I made this to be PG-13, and it's probably a PG. Mm. They're not going to change it. I'm so, so upset about that. Like, well, what goes into this? How did you decide? Because there's nothing in here that isn't in a PG movie from the 80s, but... What are you going to do? I wanted it to reach a wider audience, you know? I feel like this is safe for young teens even, you know? Well, yeah. I, I, when I saw it, I thought 12A. That was just my, my first thought. I was like, mature themes say so you probably wouldn't want anyone under anyone who's like younger than a sort of young teenager. You wouldn't really sure. want them necessarily watching it, but you they could. I mean, I watched, you know, Predator and Alien and all that sort of stuff when right. I was, you know, like eight right. or nine. If, if you've got You're not going to see anything in there that scars you. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I mean, to be fair, like Jurassic Park, we were talking about, there's, see, I remember when I first saw Jurassic Park when I was super young. Like, yeah, I remember having nightmares. Get, yeah, 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 it's freaking like, scary. They go get literally bitten. There's like legs are flailing out and he's screaming and you're like, oh yeah, this yeah. is just a kid's film. Don't, don't they throw him up in the air and <laughs> chew again in that first one? Oh yeah. Or is that the, or is that the second one? I mean, uh, they, stuff like that. Yeah. They do kind of merge into one. But I, I was thinking 12, if only for the very, the slight amount of blood in there. I thought maybe kind of 12 if if you could. But I was like, you know, when you said MA, I was like, the, the problem is because me and Megan were talking about it as well, linking him back with Drive. Oh, did Megan that, watch this movie? She did not, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. If, if right. she, I would have. Let I, me know when Megan watches it because I want to talk to her. Okay, I will. <laughs> when you next come on the show, we'll have yeah. Megan here. She can just give you the review of that. Um, but it's the reason I mention it is because with Drive, uh, Drive is an 18. Um, mm-hmm. And so, or R rated in America. So it's like when you go into a film, especially in England, because it's like, you know, a PG is a nice, a nice yellow triangle. And then you've got a 12, which is like a red circle with a 12 in it. 15 is the same. But then um, 18 is like a really deep, 
dark red circle and the text yeah. is white so you look at it and it's like oh 18 like oh my god shield my eyes what am i gonna see in this exactly and it's especially nowadays um because drive as i said was out in the last i think it's 2011 so when you see a modern 18 because like aliens is an 18 predators an mm, 18 yeah yeah and i think the crow is an 18 as well and it's like all these films it wouldn't be rated now, that anymore no yeah. it just costs more money to re-rate it than unless there's like right. a 40th anniversary edition 4k release on blu-ray sometimes they they tweak it a little bit but like when you see a film that's an 18 it's like okay now because it's so hard to actually get a film to an 18 there has to be something horrendous and apart mm-hmm. from like sexual violence it's basically sexual violence torture and normally injecting drugs or swearing constantly they're pretty much the only ways you can get it so when megan was going into watching drive she was like this is an 18 what's going to happen and there's a lot of swearing she's like oh it's just the swearing and then the curb's something and she's like oh shit Um, but with your (laughs) film it was like if it was i feel like if that is listed or would be rated as an ma or or r rating or even an 18 i'd be like i would almost why well, I feel like it would not ruin the film, but it would ruin expectation. Because if you go into uh, like yeah. a, a heist film sort of thing and it's an 18, you're like, oh, there's going to be one brutal scene. Like like a director I love, Danny Boyle. Right. Arguably my favorite director. Um, him from probably David Fincher. Um, and Wes Anderson as well. I love loads of directors. Um, <laughs> but like with uh, Danny Boyle, like m- one of the things with him is Train Spotting is probably my favorite movie ever. There's a lot of horrendous scenes in Train Spotting, you know, yeah. when yeah. And you're like, drug stuff. Was- well, drug stuff and also the baby thing. And it's like, that is uh, yeah. hard Dark. to watch. Yeah. And every Danny Boyle film, like Slumdog Millionaire, that's not an 18, that's a 15, but there's a scene where you see the kids get their eyes burnt when they're being beggars and things. So there's normally mm. a hard to watch scene in a Danny Boyle movie. So when I go into Danny Boyle films or when I go into certain films that are 18s, when it starts, either, you know, from the get go, like with a Scorsese film, oh, they say, you know, fuck every five seconds. Clearly yep. that's why it's like this. But when there's a film that there isn't something obvious, like, other, like drive to maybe to a degree but it was like where's the the big scene coming and i feel like with your film it would almost take away from it because the whole thing is this big journey but there's not like a massive brutal scene that you're waiting no. for so no, i feel like not. that rating would kind of spoil that somewhat i hope it doesn't but you know what there's nothing i can do about it <laughs> sorry i'm going off on this one whole thing that is actually unchangeable from you it's i like- wish there were and i tried to but yeah i don't want people to think that they can't watch this because it's TVMA and I don't want people to watch it, you know, geared up for something intense and then they're like, yeah, that was kind of soft. <laughs> I think it's intense, just not bloody and brutal. Right. It's not. It wasn't supposed to be. Well, yeah, and you've done a very good job there because it's... It is yeah, pretty- I just wanted it to be suspense and, you know, surprises, not mm. like, oh, can't look at this. So... And out of interest, like I know uh, you've said prior that um, COVID obviously delayed things as it's delayed everything on this world um but how long have you had this kind of in the bank how long have you had this actually sort of either as an ethereal idea or actually written like how uh 10 years i had a i had a short written i can never get it shorter than like 25 pages which is way too long for a short anyone will tell you and eventually i just said you know what this is a feature i'm gonna just write make this as a feature and i pitched it to that company and then um shoot we were gonna shoot it and then covid delayed us for a year and then we did shoot it, and then we shot it in 2021, and it's here. We're almost two years later, and it's just barely available. So, it takes a long time to make a feature, man, and release it. <laughs> oh yeah, well, some of the stuff that you're working on, that obviously, you can't speak about, is years ahead in in the future. You know, people don't realize, and even where you're kind of when you step in, it's more sort of 
mid po- mid production or sometimes post production it's like right there's still people don't really understand it when it comes to music videos as a much smaller scale from what my, i'm experienced in or movies and things people think oh yeah you make a film in like a year or so it's like no <laughs> it's more like a three-year cycle because you spend a year like prepping and writing and then a six months shooting it and then a year to 18 months doing visual effects and then ramping up to release you know for the last six months mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a long time well, especially when it is an independent or sort of lower budget movie when you don't have, you know, the weight of Disney marketing behind you. Yeah, the I know, resources. Yeah. I know you said like one of the things I find personally about podcasting is I love the conversations like this and I, I've, I'm i fine reaching out to guests and trying to organize things and making notes. But the, the one thing I, I cannot stand, and I'm very vocal about this, even though I try my best to be good on it, is social media. I, I'm yeah, so yeah. like, I, I try and make sure I post at least two or three times a week because it's one for my Star Wars show, one for this show, and uh, one for normally I'm doing something else, something else. And I try to also put things in there that aren't just about my podcast to a degree as well. But I'm like, when it's all this podcast stuff, I'm like, okay, now I have to spend a while writing show no- uh, writing the notes for the social media posting and then making a promo image and blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, with So you, much extra work. Yeah. You doing podcasts like this, I'm sure, is enjoyable. But like, are you finding that the hardest part about being an independent filmmaker is having to do all of the 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 production and the marketing and stuff uh yeah and i think social media is probably the thing that i like the least as well because i don't like getting ads to me anyways yeah now to be the person who's doing that (laughs) poking people really hate this (laughs) but you got to do it i really like the podcast stuff anyways because it's fun to meet new people and chat about it um genuine chit chat about it as it were but uh yeah i mean i've never done the marketing side of it before and it's been kind of an education so hopefully in the next one i get a little more figured out mm. now i know what to do plus would, i already met you so oh thank you sir would you um <laughs> with, with your next film let's let's just say for argument's sake because things could change but let's say your next film is the horror film that you've got in mind would you do the same amount of things you've done this time editing producing directing writing or would you want to wind back on that or go in more for others i think i'm gonna probably do the same thing you like probably the control the yeah i do i really do uh, it's easier to hand stuff off, but everything costs money. And when you're trying to do something for cheap and not make very much back, then you got to figure out ways to cut corners. So luckily I can write and I can edit and I can do a lot of the post-production. So that's a, you know, our movie costs a certain amount and it probably would have cost twice as much if I'd hired all the people to do what I did. So it's just business. <laughs> well, some people say here as well, podcasting. Like I've had people ask me and they go, Oh, do you, do you edit your own podcast? Like, Yes, I do. I, yeah, I do this. I make very little money on this, and make money is more of like just Patreons give me money for bonus content, which I'm very thankful for. But like that just goes straight back into the podcast. What were you asking? Um, if I would do it all the same, yeah, it's just it's just a business, and you got to cut corners where you can, and um, that's it, man. Hopefully, because you can't keep doing it unless it's making enough money back to pay for itself. And you find the same thing. It would be great to hire somebody to do your editing and do your social media, but then you would be in negative dollars. <laughs> and that doesn't work either. <laughs> it's all the stuff that takes the most amount of time and is generally the most boring. I think if I made my own film, I think I would probably want to do the editing elements of things. Once again, because I can do editing. I've, I've done yeah, it with yeah, video yeah. editing software and stuff. So, And I would want it, you know, when I do, because I do every single thing for my entire podcast. So I'm like, oh, I can do everything how I want to do it. And I like that degree of control. But uh-huh. it's that the edit, I think editing a film is different to editing audio because editing the audio is just like, you know, just make sure there's not any really long silences, get rid of any background right. noise. It's quite simple podcast editing. It's very it's linear too. 
Yeah. You just have one thing to go and you just chop out what you don't want. Yep, that's exactly. it. Exactly. Whereas obviously with filming, it's like, you know, you have to film. Actually, that's a good question that I didn't uh, consider. With your film, because it was all in one location, like if we compare it to say a Marvel movie, you know, there'll be scenes which are all shot at the start of production but are actually chronologically all over the place because either certain characters have to be all together at the same time or even actors own scheduling or you have to build this set and then it needs to this thing has to happen and then something explodes and then we need the same set but damn it blah 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 with this because it was almost purely shot in one location did you do that like did you have to shoot certain scenes or did you shoot it in quite a linear way no it wasn't linear at all you always end up going out of order just because same reasons schedule like we can only have actors on certain days and uh, we were fighting the weather a lot. So whenever there was a thunderstorm, we had to just shut down completely because that room just turned dark. And we had lights, but a lot of our light was sunlight through those, you know, big windows. Three bits, yeah. And also it was a tin roof. So as soon as it's raining, all you hear is... <laughs> and then uh, we did have uh, a couple locations that we went to and we could only get those like on a weekend or something. So you go into it, like, okay, we're going to shoot this chronologically, and it's never possible. It just never is. You just try to shoot chunks together, at least, so it's easier for the actors to be in this moment, mm-hmm. you know, for half the day instead. But good question. And you've said this before, um, but as we sort of start to wrap up here, um, how long did it actually take you to film? Was it 11 days? Oh, yeah. So we shot in 11 days. Mm. It's super fast. So most movies will shoot like two to four pages a day. Uh, a lot of indie movies will do like five to seven a day or tv shows a lot of times um but there were days we did like our biggest day was 20 pages which is crazy wow uh and that honestly that was like some of our best stuff on the 20 page day because she was just so drained emotionally and that's the stuff like later in the movie when the character is drained emotionally so it kind of <laughs> worked out and she was cursing me at the end of those days like you're gonna add three pages to today are you kidding me uh but it worked because she's just like so spent um anyways so yeah we shot really fast and part of it was cheating because we didn't have company moves we didn't have characters to block it was just her getting through lines of dialogue um you know there's a movie like lock have you seen that one that's tom hardy that's a single location movie he's in a car the whole time talking Mm. on the phone and i know they the way they shot that was they shot the whole script every day for like oh my, three weeks. Oh my God. That's all they did. They, was, they just went through the whole script. And then the next day they did it again. The next day they did it again. And each time was just different camera angles. So at the end of the day, they had what? 15 days times four camera angles. Then you've got, you know, basically 60 things to oh, cut. To. Editing that would be a nightmare. Yeah. And so I did not footage. want to do that. <laughs> it is so, so much footage. Much. And if money is no op, you know, worry, then you can do it that way. And if you have your actors for that long, then it's fine. But man, it's got to be boring to do it that way. It's got to be so boring. But that's sta- that's 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 a stage play. You know, that's what actors do on stage. Mm. They do it five times a night for week after week after week after week. I have often thought like that. I, I've I've never been that musically gifted i did a bit of keyboard and stuff in in school my um my brother and my dad are both uh very musically gifted and things in bands and that kind of jazz um but with myself i thought about it and there's a point in my teen years where friends of mine they they had a band going and they're like oh do you want to learn bass to try and because we need a bassist and stuff um and i was like i thought about it and then i was like the end goal here is that we become famous in this band yeah yeah which is playing the same songs at the the point in the evening which i'm most active is like i'm a night owl so it's like so i have to give up 
all my evenings to basically be in this band to play the same handful of songs for if it goes well a year and a half to two years around the world more and, like the rest of your life mike well if, if you're, you're big wonder, then that's well even people who are not like i still go see bands and i love all their music but they're still mm. playing the same 25 you, you know, normally get like over a, over again. a five or ten percent tweak it's normally like yeah. the same core and there's like we've got a new album out we'll play two songs from that one because that's what most album. people are showing up to hear you know exactly and yeah it's tough man that's the job you just got to love your music and you got to know it's a performance that you're going to do for the audience and that's what you're there for man that's what's going to make you the money and that's what this is what you love to do isn't it isn't this what you love to do now you get to do it until you can't do it anymore and then you take a break and then you come back and do an anniversary tour (laughs) (laughs) but that's why i think about one hit wonders like i there's lots of bands i like you know there's bands who have more pop certain songs that are a lot more popular that they would pretty much always play but you think like smash mouth like uh-huh. you, no one is going to go see smash mouth and not hit all star you, you so no. they have to play it's just like we just every teenage single dirtbag. time and if they're well, smart they put it towards the end so that exactly. nobody leaves early. normally the encore is, is usually <laughs> is so it's like if you watch a band like Wheatus or um anyone like that who've just got the one big like they still got fans who like their other music but one song that is so colossally popular that everyone basically in the world knows that one track and if you if that's on your first album and you're a band that's been going for 30 years i'm like no matter how much you love that song could you imagine playing the same song almost every day of your life like i get sick of songs i like myself hearing them i'm like i, I've I think to it too much. i think it happens more often than you are aware because even the bands that have a ton of popular songs are still playing the three that were from their very first album. Mm. No. Yeah. That's what got their fans in the first place. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's, uh, it's one of those fun things. Maybe you then forever, you'll be, you, you'll, no matter how big you get as a filmmaker, people will still be asking you questions about being a, an assistant editor at the uh, Marvel studios. Yeah. That's, they that's might. Gonna be your, you know what? Yeah. If that's my, if that's my cross to bear, so be it. Cause <laughs> at a super, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, but this is really what I love to do. And uh, I guess I would keep, I guess I would keep talking about it for 30 years. <laughs> As you should. Hopefully people, people are still there. asking me about Solid Rock Trust 30 years from now. That would be great. I think that's great. That, that would be incredible. Well, as to wrap this up, I think, you know, Solid Rock Trust, it was fantastic. And, you know, not to be completely honest, obviously, when someone approaches me to come on the show, especially when they've made a film, there have been points in the past where people have made films and I've... I have or haven't said yes to them and then I've watched the film and then been like ooh yeah. and I want to be honest you. the show's That's all about being to be in. honest I want to be honest but I don't want to just go over there and just shit on someone's work especially if they're yeah, really proud of it but especially in, in person ooh that's hard yes it's rough <laughs> but in this scenario I don't have to do that because you're the product you make is genuinely brilliant and in uh, I mean this in complete honesty if this was a film that got advertised on tv or whatever and i went to the cinema and watched this film at the cinema i would believe it's a cinema level quality i would be oh, satisfied nice. Thank you. leaving the movie being like i paid money for this and i'm happy with that I, I genuinely think that it has the amount of professionalism behind it both with yourself as the driving force but also once again shout out to coco marshall because she was just phenomenal like the two I, I know there's more to it than just the two of you yeah of course but the two of you being like those driving forces with the experience you had and 
I don't know how much experience she's had, just the raw talent of her as a person. Push yeah. them together has just made this absolutely incredible heist film. And, and all the things that you said about it in this uh, conversation, you know, there's lots of things you wouldn't expect. It's different to other heist films that you've seen. It's but it's also, you know, all shot in basically one location, which is really clever and has its own angle. There's so many bits and, and changes in pace that you wouldn't expect. So I just think this film is just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out to me so we could have this conversation and so I could watch the film. But I will be promoting it and stuff. And make sure you reach out as well i'll I'll put links in the show notes and stuff but once it's got a bit more of a worldwide uh distribution uh, let me know and i'll happily post about it on social media oh nice thank you well ringing endorsement i'm so appreciative that you enjoyed it that much yeah thank you it's amazing so is there anything else before we wrap this up that you want to add in i'll put stuff in the show notes but any final things uh no this has been great thank you for having me so much love your show love that you talk about star wars all the time because i'm there for it man (laughs) I don't know how you have the time to read all the comics and everything that you do, but yeah. uh, so Sleepless great. Nights. <laughs> and that's the answer. Is, is I just, anytime, lunch breaks at work, or when I'm doing my day job, or, you know, Megan is a bit of an, uh, she's an early riser, so she goes to bed at like 10, and I don't get oh, tired yeah. until like midnight. So I've got this nice little oh, yeah. two-hour sweet couple spot. hours. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Well, that's when I do it. Uh, great. Well, thanks again for having me on. This has been a blast, and hopefully I can be back in a while with another one to talk to you about that'll be fun the door is always open good sir so this is where i'll stop recording but just thanks once again yeah thank you and that's the end of the podcast thank you so much for tuning in as always my friends make sure you check out the details in the description especially the link tree link for flashbulb films because from there you'll find everything to do with this movie there's the trailer for solid rock trust there's all kinds of other bits and pieces of this way you can watch it so please make sure you check that out so you can support rick's creative endeavor now, if you enjoyed this conversation, you may want to go over to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat and go over to my movie slash gaming related chats because there's a huge amount of conversations I've had about movies because I'm a massive film buff. So in there, there's conversations I've had with friends of mine just about movies I enjoy. I've spoken with loads of other filmmakers and things, including our friend BZ, who does the intro and outro for genuine chit chat. His very smooth voice you could normally hear. He actually made a couple of Green Lantern fan films. So I had him on the podcast a couple of times to talk about that. I spoke with Michael McCormick, who is I call the puppet master. He worked on Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and Return of the Jedi with Jim Henson creating puppets and the YouTube video of that you can actually see some of the puppets that he used in those movies he actually kindly showed me. So that was a delightful conversation as well. I've also spoken to actors. I've spoken with people involved in other creative endeavors including Mandy Wong who created the Million Lu show which is an animated kid series. I've spoken to Goff of Beer Nuts Productions about six times I think. He's a blind Australian filmmaker who primarily makes comedy movies but he's also made a documentary about himself and his own blindness so there's loads and loads of different people i've spoken with recently i spoke with kevin shinnick as well about working with george lucas so i've spoken to lots of people about movies and stuff so if this is your first time tuning in please make sure you check out all the other amazing things on pretty much any podcast app i think apart from spotify you can search within my feed so if you just type in movie or film or acting those sorts of things within my podcast or just type in those words with genuine chit chat on it or obviously go to my youtube channel you can find out loads of information about that because i have had a lot of conversations about films. 
So recently I was on the show Where I'm From, which is something that Alison Shelton has launched that she does on her Instagram, which is really cool. You can view it after the fact on YouTube as well. A link to that is in the description, where basically she has different people on the show to do an interpretation of a poem called Where I'm From. So I wrote my own interpretation of this poem and I read it out loud for people on Instagram Live and then you can check it out on YouTube. So please make sure you check that out to support Alison Shelton. There's other guests who've been on Genuine Chit Chat who've been on Where I'm From, like Miss Tonya Todd, like Rhea Carrigan, but Alison Shelton has actually been on Genuine Chit Chat several times. She was on primarily to promote her comic series Reburn, which she did with Elise McCall. And Elise, I also had on the show a couple times as well. Alison Shelton is also part of the Femme On Collective, which was created by Rhea Carrigan. It's an absolutely incredible thing. So make sure you support Alison Shelton wherever you can. And you can check out the other episodes I've done with Alison. And also you can check out my poem that I read out. But what else have I got coming up? Well, a couple days ago, I released the fifth episode of the Mandalorian discussion show. You can watch the video version for that on YouTube or just listen to the audio version on the feed of Comics in Motion. I'm trying to have different guests each week. And the episode just released had Spider-Dan from Spider-Dan The Secret Balls and Ike from Ike's Flame on there. We had a really amazing, nearly two hour long discussion on Mandalorian Series 5, Mandalorian culture, all kinds of really interesting stuff. So it was a great conversation. I absolutely adored it. And then next week, I'm going to be at Star Wars Celebration over the weekend. So myself and Megan are going to record our thoughts on Mandalorian episode 6 before this feed as well as probably Star Wars comics and canon on the feed of comics in motion I'm likely going to release some of the Star Wars celebration things that we discuss so we're going to hopefully be going to Star Wars celebration I may end up talking to a couple people there but at the very least myself and Megan in the hotel rooms after we've had a whole day of Star Wars celebration are going to record our thoughts on the celebration convention itself and some of the other cool stuff that we found about Star Wars there so I'm very very excited about that the week after that will be a recording release that I'm due to record tomorrow with a gentleman who is an author with a very very important message to tell there will be trigger warnings but i'll get more into that once i've got that recorded and in the coming weeks as well, I am going to be recording another edition of Disney Discussions. So that's going to be Disney Discussions number six. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And I've got a few other things in the pipeline as well. There's people contacting me wanting to come on the show. So I've got a lot of emails to catch up on, to be honest with you, before I go to Star Wars Celebration. But lots of cool things there. But you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. For as little as one pound a month, you get access to hours and hours and hours and hours of additional content. If you're a movie buff, it's especially great for you because myself and Megan primarily review movies and TV shows over there. We also talk about like road trips and holidays that we've been on i also release star wars legends book reviews on there that don't come out anywhere else and lots of other bits and pieces that i am up to it's generally just a good way to keep up to date with myself and megan but also support the show and get hours and hours of bonus content there's over 150 episodes of afterthoughts over there right now some episodes are as short as seven minutes other ones are as long as 40 minutes so it's a nice wide berth of episodes with a huge amount of variety on the kind of things that we watch and consume so please consider checking that out so little as one pound a month which is about a dollar fifty a month and you'll get at least one episode every single week. If you want to support the show in a way that isn't financially, there's loads of great ways you can do that. You can leave a rating on Spotify. You can leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods or any other podcast app that has that facility to do so. You can share on social media. You can tell your friends about it. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. So there's loads of ways to support me. If you are listening this far into the podcast, I would hugely appreciate it because I know reviews and ratings are a bit of a pain, but if you do it, it just helps the show out massively. So if you could do that and you are listening and you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the absolute world to me. If you want to keep up to date with myself, you can follow me on social media at Genuine Chits Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. But you can also sign up to the Pop Culture Collective weekly newsletter. So I'm a contributor for that, as are many members of the Comics in Motion family. And essentially, it's just a weekly newsletter to tell people what's going on. So on there, I normally give a little bit of information on the episode of Genuine Chit Chat that gets released, the episode of Styles Comics and Canon, if I'm doing any other things like the weekly discussion Mandalorian episodes, and other bits and pieces like that. 
so you can keep up to date with myself and loads of other incredible creators, some of which have been on Genuine Chit Chat without having to follow all of us on social media and keep up with all those sorts of things. So I think that is pretty much everything I want to talk about in this little outro thing. So just thank you so much for listening. As always, my friends, I appreciate each and every one of you listening all the way up to the very end of this. Please make sure you go and support Rick Ives and his amazing movie, Solid Rock Trust. I really, really recommend people go and check that film out. It was great to watch. Really, really enjoyed that. And yeah, just as always, my friends, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week with some Star Wars Celebration coverage. And then the week after that, we'll be back to the usual programming. And so, my friends, I'll speak to you then. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.